All right. Okay, let's go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Bullpen Talk. I've got Brian John as my guest. Uh, as you can tell, Brian is a long-lost brother of mine. Uh, he, Brian works in a startup now, previously in an investment bank. And he has uh, two YouTube channels and a blog, uh, which are some really interesting stuff. Uh, seriously, go check it out. Hi, Brian. It's great to have you here. Appreciate it, man. Hello. Uh, <laughs> great to be here. Um, I am very excited as I've long dreamed of having a podcast on my own and I would like to start my own podcast, but I think this is a good, uh, introduction into one. Um, I was very happily reached out by you on LinkedIn, I think, and I'm really excited to talk about the things we're about to talk about. I'm kind of curious about this. Like every time, like on a, like, whether if it's a networking call or a podcast, why, why did you accept this? <laughs> That's a great question. So, so um, let me start here. So I've actually rarely um, responded to LinkedIn messages or even like Instagram DMs, um, not to sound like one of those guys, but ever since I've, I've, I've started YouTube and I've gone relatively viral um, and I'm sure people that are bigger than way bigger than me get thousands a day, but especially because I was a career focused platform in the beginning, like LinkedIn was a huge um, surge of requests and DMs and, and invites. And um, even now I would say I get anywhere from five to 10 um, invites or, or friend requests on LinkedIn a day. Um, and anywhere from, I would say on days that are a lot like 10 to 20 DMs and, and definitely at least five a day. Um, and I've never responded to most of them, um, simply because I, I don't like playing like favorites. I feel like I'm someone that if I respond to one, I'm going to need to respond to every one of them. Um, I've also never responded to an Instagram DM either, um, unless unless they were from my school or were going to my school. And I just I have a strong school loyalty. So I think that played a part. Uh, back to your original question, though, why did I respond to you? I think I was just in the mood of like, I, I wanted to do a podcast. It was a good chance to get into one. Obviously, um, no offense to your podcast, but I don't think anyone big was going to invite me because I'm who am I? But I, I thought this was a fun, comfortable way to talk. Um, you had a very, like you, I remember in your little thing, you said like, hey, like I'd love to chat, uh, but like it doesn't have to be about careers. And like, if anything, I read your blog and there's things on your blog I want to talk about. And that like actually caught my eye because one, like I'm really into my blog recently, even more so than my YouTube channel. And I think the fact that I had someone reading my blog that I didn't know um, had me very interested. Um, it, it, all selfish reasons, really. Hit the jackpot, really. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so let's kind of get into your background. So how did you get into banking and what was your experience like? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I touch on this a lot on my channel all the time. And I think I don't, I really don't satisfy people with this answer. And I think people get mad when they hear this answer, but like, I, that's one thing that I also want to go into is like, I think on the webs, especially on platforms like YouTube and like career platforms, there are people that they want a certain answer slash they want these creators to say certain things that they want to hear. And they want, they just want their, thoughts to be affirmed like there, there's this weird inkling of like you want to hear that you can get into banking or you want to hear that efforts will equal results or you want to hear that software engineering is the best job ever like there, there's set preconceived notions that i think people want confirmed by people online 
but that's unfortunately not not the reality of the world. Like there's plenty of people that don't work hard and get jobs. There's people that work super hard and don't get jobs. Um, and there is no perfect job. Uh, but for me, I had no understanding of banking or finance growing up. Um, I knew what stocks were. Um, but other than that, I didn't, I didn't know anything. I was obviously a product of like the 08 financial crisis. So I understood that housing was an issue and there were these bad guys that sold mortgages that weren't supposed to be sold. But like outside of that, I knew nothing about finance. Um, I got to school. Um, I, I went to a very small liberal arts school um, in Virginia called Washington Lee University. And um, I chose, I chose, we call it WNL, but we, cho- we I, call, I chose WNL and liberal arts in general because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and I thought that liberal arts would be a good way to not choose a major when you're 18 um, and get kind of like a fresh start and understand, explore what careers are out there. Um, I dabbled in a wide variety of things. I was, I was an accounting major by trade. I studied ComSci for a while. I was on the pre-metric track for a while. Um, and then ultimately I found out that at our school, um, it's quite easy, relatively easy to get into banking. Um, and I remember I recently made a video about my experience at a target school and people got pissed off saying you're not at a target school, but my perception of a target school is you can put in less effort and there are guaranteed spots for you at various banks, which in turn makes it easy for you to go into a bank. Like I think that if anything, that's like a better version of a target school than a target school, real target school, because at real target schools, yes, banks come to you and all these big boy, like Goldman Sachs want to only hire you, but at schools like that at UPenn, there are thousands of kids going for banking. Whereas at my school, there were probably 30, 40 kids, maybe max 50 going for banking. And I don't know a single case at my school, I think, that really tried that didn't get a banking job. Um, and that's like unheard of, I think, in terms of yeah. acceptance rates into banking, um, which is why I said it's a target school, but to each their own. And if you're pissed off, I'm sorry. But um, I so in short, I think, one, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I still don't know what I wanted to do. Um, and I, I heard over and over again that this job is the best entrance, the best starting job ever. Um, it seemed like an easy way to do it. So I, I put in, I mean, I, I definitely, I worked hard. I think I, 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 I think I need to give myself more credit, but I, I now worked a lot. I studied technicals and whatnot, but in hindsight, and especially when talking to people through YouTube, talking to students through like um, career consulting and stuff, I'm, I'm nowhere close to the amount of effort that people put in for getting into banking. Um, and I, I, I don't mean to sound like a douche when I say this or say like, oh, I am naturally gifted. If anything, I'm saying like this was truly by the grace of God in, in the sense that like my efforts were minimal getting into banking. Um, and, and that's why I think part of the reason why I started the channel is because I wanted to let people know that like it's not this like overly prestigious field that only like the geniuses and the hardos can get into like i was not one of those people and i don't think i'll ever i'll ever be that's great yeah and now now you're in startup so it's not too Uh, uncommon for analysts to transition to startups like what what made you make this decision yeah i think i think um i I struggle with this a lot because I think banking as a whole, there are so many aspects I actually did like. Um, I, I like the the like group mentality. I, I'm, I'm a man of hierarchy. I thought hierarchy was actually kind of cool. Um, there obviously are negatives of hierarchy, but I think having a set structure, especially in reflection, was a good thing. The perks are great. Obviously, having a prestigious job, anyone would like. Um, the money's great. I think the professionalism is fantastic. 
Um, the long hours, I think, was rough at times, but I don't think it was hard solely because of the rough hours. Um, I think it came down to two things. I think one, um, in terms of financial engineering and being overly client-driven was something that I I think I was good at, but I didn't necessarily like at the time. I, I wanted to make something for myself slash work on something that was us directed versus someone else directing us. Um, and then two, I think I witnessed, especially during the pandemic, that there was a sharp detachment of, and perhaps at every organization, but especially in banking. And I think banking has woken up since then, but there was a very sharp detachment from the top and the bottom of the hierarchy. And, and, and the top often demanded things that were just unreasonable and unnecessary. Um, and there were many days and hours and weekends that you spend working on things that either did not have to be done at that time or to never sell the light. Um, and there were many days ruined for absolutely no reason. I, I'm someone that I think has absolutely no problem doing things that have to be done. Um, I'm a very like responsibility driven person and I'm someone that can't have fun unless my work is done. So I think um, it was more of an issue of there were clearly things that everyone knew that didn't need to be done at that moment, but for whatever reason, partners would have to get it done at that moment that I think it, it was just a matter of like their pride and, and personality that just didn't allow them to take a break, um, which, which ruined a lot of people's lives, I think, um, right. for, for better or worse. Um, what I chose to start up, I think, so I, I started relatively actively thinking about recruiting winter of 2020. COVID was like normalizing a little bit. That part was fine. Um, work was obviously picking up again. Um, I, I, I thought to myself, if I can't see myself becoming the person above me, then it is time to change rules. So if I didn't see myself becoming a banking associate, then there was no point in staying longer. Um, and I, I thought that a year and a half was was plenty of time. And I thought that I, I've done enough to, to show face. Um, okay. So I, I started looking at a wide variety of roles, obviously the common banking path of being perhaps to another or better, quote unquote, better bank um, or to buy side roles like hedge funds or PE. And then to what I call real companies like corp dev or strategic finance roles. Um, none of which frankly interested me. And they all kind of seemed like the same same devil in a different form. Um, <laughs> and, and, I, and I think I'd also be lying if I said that there was just a lot going on in my mind. I was super stressed and there was like this innate feeling of, and, and, and in hindsight, I think I probably should have beaten, like gotten over this a bit better, but there was just such an urge to get out that I think like, I just didn't have the, the correct amount of patience, I should say, to like really stick it through and think really hard and deep about like what I really, really, really wanted to do. But I, I had a couple of goals in mind that I think were important. One, I wanted to be back in California. Um, that was a huge, huge goal of mine. Um, two, I wanted to um, jump into tech. I, I thought that there was a skill set in tech that banking swayed you away from and pigeonholed you away from. Um, and then three, I wanted to see something get built um, because I thought that I deserved, quote unquote, um, at least one shot at building my own thing eventually. And to do that, I need to understand how businesses are built. Um, so my current company, actually, um, so many ironies. Um, one, I always crap on um, LinkedIn uh, cold me emailing because I think it doesn't work. But ironically, I was reached out through LinkedIn 
Um, two, to that point, this wasn't a job that I applied for, even though I applied to countless jobs. Um, and then three, as a juxtaposition of those previous two reasons, it happened to be a position in LA. Um, so I think the stars aligned. I felt like the stars aligned at the time. Um, it was a startup, but it was a startup of scale. Um, so everything just kind of made sense. Um, and I like doing things spontaneously. I should probably think a bit more the next time I jump, but, um, a lot of things aligned and I just thought, you know what, like there's a chance, let's just take it. Um, so I jumped. Nice. Did you, uh, during your investment banking days, did you have like late night nerve, uh, football nights, things like that? <laughs> late night nerve football nights. What does that mean? Uh, so on the Wall Street Oasis, you know, you know, like the funniest shit you've done in the office, uh, people say they've done like football, like late. Oh, football. oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we've done for them. I mean, I mean, by the time it's like <laughs> eight, eight, all the partners are out and it's just like analysts in, in the bullpen and, and um, people are wearing casual stuff. Like we're like standing up in our cubicles and like saying funny shit. We're like, we're throwing balls at each other. And um, I mean, that only lasted for nine months, but. Um, yeah, I, I think some of the, this is going to sound really weird and, and maybe like job perverted, but like, the, I think the best parts of banking are the like camaraderie working together late things. And because that was taken away during the pandemic, right. it sucked. I, I think that's, that's what drove this mass exodus for sure. Right. Damn. So I don't know, like my, my, cause you know, uh, me editing these podcasts, like it's just audio, but it takes ages. And I can only imagine what uh, editing videos would be like. How, how did you um, balance uh, YouTube channel while working in an investment bank? And like, what do you do in your free time? Like a hobby, maybe? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this is probably another answer people don't like hearing because that, they ask me that all the, all the time. I think they want to hear like, oh, like video, video editing is really strenuous and like you're probably like juggling all these things. Um, one, I don't really have a hobby, which helps. Um, there's not much I do besides like playing golf and YouTube and maybe read. Um, I can't play, I can't play golf in Chicago just because things are far and I don't have my set here. Um, so especially during banking, but, but now I have more free time, but during banking, um, I had nothing else to do besides YouTube when I was home. Um, and believe it or not, and this is the part that I think people might get pissed off at and they, they don't want to hear this, but my YouTube editing really takes very little time um okay. i i have no scripts to any of my videos i don't i don't write anything down um it's just i choose a topic turn the camera on and i just speak away um and then i cut out the silences or the ums just that's just like one the style videos that i like i know some people don't like my fast rapid cuts but i'm sorry guys deal with it um, I, just, <laughs> I i don't i don't like the spaces and i like fast paced talking um and two yeah i don't have a script so i would say recording the video probably takes anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes um and then editing probably takes anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes and then i make a thumbnail in like 30 seconds and then i just upload um so i mean it's i make one video a week at most an hour a week I, anyone can have an hour a week that's true i think i think that's great um how, how did you get into your uh, blog how did i get into blogging yeah um, so I, this is, this is, I haven't reflected on this either. Um, there was a, I went on like a boys trip in, in, in North Carolina. There's a beachfront in North Carolina called the Outer Banks. Um, there's a TV show about it on Netflix, I think. 
Um, and we were just hanging out. Work was kind of slow. And um, I think I saw someone's blog. And this is, this is how a lot of my initiatives are initiated. I look at, I find something and I think I can do a better job than this person. Um, and I just like thoughts myself. Like, I could probably write better and I have more fun and interesting thoughts than this person. I said, I'm just going to start a blog. So I went on, I'm not, I'm not like a web developer by trade. Like I know how to write HTML a little bit, but I don't, I don't really know how to create a website. So I just went on Wix, I think. And yeah. <laughs> they, they, they um, happened to have a deal where it was like 50% off a year. Um, it was like a hundred bucks a year. Um, I also don't really spend a lot of money on anything. So I thought, you know, why not? Like this will be my other hobby. Um, and I'm also a man of consistency. So I thought, you know, I'm going to write four times a week, Monday through Thursday. And that happened to be the Monday of that week, each week. And I had a lot of time to myself. Work was slow. So I just kicked it off. And there are just so many things on my mind that I always like talking about. Um, and I, I think the trap of, of social media and, and the internet is this, right? Like we think that people care about what we think when in reality people don't um, because we think we, we matter a lot, but you know, eight people, most of 8 billion people don't care about you um, unless you either are brilliant, brilliantly smart, uh, brilliantly creative or philosophical or brilliantly attractive um, or a combination of the three, um, which I personally think I am <laughs> maybe <laughs> like, maybe like 75, 80% at everything I just mentioned, but perhaps not the most at everything. Uh, but I think, I think it helps to be a jack of all trades, but um, yeah, there's just a lot of thoughts. I also thought that my YouTube, obviously, um, the algorithm is a very strong, strong proponent and you can't really defeat it well. And there's, I'm, I'm very niched into this career slash banking thing that I'm, I'm trying to actively beat. Um, but the, you know, I, I also want to cater to my audience and I would argue most of my 17,000 following probably, they don't want to hear about my thoughts on politics or religion. Um, so I, I, I wanted a platform where I could share that. Um, and surprisingly, um, I've had a lot of readers on my blog more than I thought I would that aren't necessarily my YouTube following. Um, so it's worked out. Nice. Uh, dropping the big number. <laughs> so what, 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 what would you say that your favorite episode is like, what's the video that made you go? That's fucking content. Like what was that? Um, of my videos you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> I would say, I'd say two, I have two videos in mind. Um, one, there's a video, I think it's the third or fourth video that I ever made. And I kind of want to make a remake of it um, because it was, I was just bad at making videos back then, but um, it's called why being an adult sucks. Um, and I remember this was just like, I was super jaded. Um, and I was thinking like, dang, being an adult sucks. Like I'm a very like, people that know me well will, t- will let you know that I'm a very like childlike person. Um, I love being a kid. Um, yeah. I, I listed out, I just turned the camera on. I started thinking about what makes being an adult sucks. And at the time I've been an adult for like six months and I was talking about how like there's no community and like there's all these responsibilities. Um, I really like that video. And then there's a second video. Um, I guess all my videos have to do with why this sucks, but um, I talk <laughs> about why, why dating sucks. Um, I'm a big like dating philosopher um, and I love like talking about dating and relationships um, and I'm one of those guys that like, especially like to girls when I talk about dating and like my perspectives on dating, all my female friends are like, Brian, like, I hate that you're saying all these things, but, but like, you're so, you're so right that like, it pisses me off. Um, and, and that's, I, I love talking about dating, but I'd say those two videos are, I, I, I watch those and I even 
I'm, I think one, I'm a very like arrogant person, but two, like other videos, I'm like not necessarily proud of. I do it like, I think partly for the views and partly like for this idea that I want people to have resources, but those two, like I made them cause I wanted to make them and I thought they were really well done. Nice. That's, that's pretty sick. Um, just, just kind of a funny story. Uh, I think it was my first episode. The first four interviews, I think, first three at least, was very formative interview format. So I was just asking them questions and they were answered back. And like now thinking about it, it was, it's just so boring. And I'm glad that it's, it's completely different with this one. And sure. yeah, so the first one, I was just like kind of shitting myself. It's like, oh my God, like he's like he played in a big, big team and he, oh, won, yeah. he won like the Junior World Cup. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I was just <laughs> starstruck. And whenever he said something i'd reply that's crazy oh my god that's crazy <laughs> so many times every honestly every single time he said something i had that and i'm not even joking i had to like edit that out and replace that and record oh that's interesting i have to replace it with something else <laughs> that's so funny yeah um okay so that's that's <laughs> a great in, uh, introduction to yourself so yeah, I kind of want to talk about your childhood, something that we both have in common. We're both Korean. We lived abroad pretty much all of our, uh, our, sure. uh, our lives. What was your experience like growing up in the States? Was it when, when did you move there? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I finished first grade in, in Korea, um, which I think was enough to be um, relatively Korean, but probably not enough. Um, a fun fact that surprises most people just because I think one, how I talk and two, how I look like. Um, obviously people listening to this can't see unless you know me or follow me, but I'm like a pretty like, I have pretty, I think, how do I, how do I be politically correct here? I have, I have pretty um, exotic features. Like I have, I have pretty like dark eyebrows. Um, I, I have like thick eyes. I'm pretty dark. Um, so I think people, when they see me, they're like, oh, this guy's definitely like Americanized or I get like Filipino a lot um, or like South Asian a lot. Um, but um, fun fact, I'm, I'm very fluent in Korean. Um, I know. I would, um, I, 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 but um, back, to, back to your question. So I, I immigrated after first grade. Um, I moved initially to a city called Arcadia in LA, um, which is um, very, very beautiful. Uh, north, northern east side of LA, kind of where like old money LA is, um, it's a very heavily Chinese town. Um, so, um, it wasn't like a rough immersion, I would say like a lot of my classmates are Chinese, um, pretty diverse crowd. Um, a lot of like Latin Americans, um, obviously a lot of Caucasians too, but, um, it wasn't like, I was like dropped in the middle of Arkansas or something. Um, <laughs> and then, and then in sixth grade, I moved to Irvine, which is also like predominantly Asian, I would say like 42% Asian, 40% white. And then the remainder, um, a lot of Koreans there. Um, it's obviously at UCI is there and a lot of like um, education folks are there right now. I mean, it's like basically becoming Asia um, because people know it's a good place to live. It's safe. It's rich. Um, all the things that, you know, immigrants look for. Um, so I don't think my, my like immersion was as rough as other, other people. Um, I, I'm also just someone that like enjoys, I think, diversity of, of thought and, and race and whatever you want to call it. Um, I think I adjusted relatively well immediately. Um, I, I will say like, I'm sure the English transition was hard, but I think I came at exactly the right time just by co like coincidence and probably my parents somewhat timing that um, 
I don't, I don't really remember the transition from speaking no English to like being fluent. Um, I would, I would assume it hit around fifth grade. Um, I will say also that like weird flex, I think language is something that I naturally excel at. So I think it, it wasn't like a difficult thing. And I, I'm always a proponent that the hardest transition in any new culture is language. I think language is the biggest barrier by far. Um, and once you understand the language and how to speak in that way, then you're able to immerse yourself culturally. Um, in terms of like, I don't know if you were, if you're baiting for these kind of answers, but like experiencing racism or anything like that, I don't, I don't recall anything like that. If anything, and I hope we get into this, if anything, I think we're, I've become more hyper aware of racism recently, just because it's yeah. at the top of everyone, everyone's minds rather than like, I, I guarantee you, if you interview people of our generation when they were young like how aware were you of racism or how much did you experience like explicit racism or like systematic racism i it's not back then i bet i bet their encounters of understanding or being more aware of racism is now because we're so hyper aware um other than that i i don't really i don't i don't recall i don't see my childhood in this like growing up as a korean american immigrant like um, I was just, I think I was just another kid enjoying, mm. enjoying the American life. Yeah, something, something I definitely agree. So when I was really young, I think I was in primary, primary school and I went to the UK. So I was in the train station and like, like I'm a huge, huge sport, sports person. Like, oh my God, I, I die for it. And mm-hmm. as, a, as a kid, um, you know, you watch these athletes like drink Gatorade, uh, Powerade, all that stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah. oh God, I really want that. <laughs> and I, I remember um, while I was waiting for the train, my mom was like carrying me. And like this, there was a hot dog stand and the guy was like, they had, he had loads of Powerade be- behind him. I was like, oh my God, mom, can I have that? Can I have that? And, you know, like my mom was like, no, no sugary drinks. <laughs> <laughs> But, but that that <laughs> he, he looked wholesome as fuck and he was like oh like I'll, I'll just give him for free and like that's that was my impression of england and right 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 yeah and i've only been to england once and the second time would be my university days and even then like everyone was so friendly to me like um like i think okay to be honest the first week when i first arrived to the uk i was all alone it was tough, man. It was, sure, it was sure. so tough. I was scared to go out to have lunch. So we're all in this accommodation first year. So you're kind of forced to. And for breakfast, lunch, dinner, I knew, I spoke to a couple of guys uh, when I first got there. But it was like, I'd be scared. I'd be like, oh, sure. I don't want to leave. So I, I, I locked myself in my room for an entire week. Oh, no. And yeah, and I was like, yeah you know what, I need, I need to get my shit together. And yeah. I decided to join a sports team, uh, played uh, rugby there, and that changed everything. I met, oh, like, no. so many people uh, that were willing to help. And I think coming into the uni- uh, coming to university, my mindset was, okay, let's tr- – okay, I don't know how to not sound offensive, but I was trying to drift away from Asians – Sure, sure, sure. Because, sure. because, um, like you always like all my friends, uh, like f- regardless going to the uh U- U.S. or U.K., they will always have like the Asian. They always be with the Asian kids. Sure, like, sure. There's nothing wrong with that, but like I, th- my mindset was, if I'm paying like 
international school fee to go to the UK. Um, why would I spend my entire time with these guys when I already had like so much exposure uh, growing up in China and Korea? So I think I really tried to like immerse myself in the UK culture, and that honestly that really helped. Uh, I, f- I think I don't know if you know this, but if you go to school like UCL, LSE, like the big London schools. There are a lot of rich kids there, man. Like a lot of rich. I'm sure. Kids I'm sure. There. And how they party is just like I don't know how to say this, but I felt it was kind of overdone mm. by like such a young, like young group of students. You're only sure. eight, you're only 18, 19, and you're like popping champagne at like this like crazy nice uh place. Whereas sure. I was I was with like uh, like the genuine like middle class uh, British guys and honestly I, I thought I learned a lot and that completely changed my like mindset like I was like budgeting sure. I was like really responsible and all that whereas like my friends were spending like this good this guy I know uh, he spent like $1,500 on the night out wow on the, wow yeah one night out so that that was something um, so yeah Okay, kind of lost track there. Um, so going back to your experience in the States, uh, did you have any culture shock when you got there? I know you were quite young, but... Culture shocks. Um, yeah, actually, actually. Let's just let's let loose of all the things that people will find offensive. But now I'm, I, I'm tired of just... I'm, I'm not going to precursor by saying, oh, this is going to be offensive. But I'll just say... Um, I, and like, I think other young Asian immigrants, especially of my generation who like immigrated in the early 2000s without the internet or like overexposure to the internet will understand. But I was shocked, not shocked, but something that I was just caught off off guard by is the diversity of people that just exist, period. Like, I think in my mind, like, for example, watching like the World Cup in 02, like I was aware that there were different countries. And I was aware that there was white people, black people, like South American people, like blah, 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 Asian people. Like, I think, I think as a five-year-old, like you're aware of that, but like, because most of that is exposed through TV or like celebrities or whatever, you're not, there's a disconnect between you realizing that you belong in that world versus there's a separate world that exists of like them versus us. I get to school and there's, everyone looks so different. Like there's like, Asians that look different from me. There's African-Americans, there's white people, there's Mexican friends, like all these people that I, like I've only seen through the telly and they're like real people in front of me. Um, And I remember like, I lacked the right words to describe them. Like I I went home and I told my mom, like there's all these kids and I I, I began to describe them. And my mom was like, oh, like my, my mom would say like, oh, like that's a, african-american person or that's a white person or that's a latin american person um i think maybe even my mom lacked the the correct words whatever correct words we're we're allowed to say nowadays um to describe these people um and i think that was kind of like a wow moment for me um just because like i lived in a country that was 99 percent people that look like me um Maybe not look like me specifically. I think a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people in Korea look like me, but um, just just in general, like I was I was amongst hundred percent Koreans, and that's something that like I think 
of it's fun to be in America, right? Like when you when you go to New York or like when you go to like a pump and city when you go to LA, like you're like, wow, like people look so different. Um, that's something that I I think is just like it's just cool. Um yeah. Uh a couple oh wait, a couple other things. Um another thing is <laughs> related to going to restaurants. One tip, um, huge, huge culture track. I have a lot of th- thoughts on tip, but save that for later. Um, <laughs> bringing checks to the table. Um, not uh, Americans would understand this, but when you check out in, in Korea or in Asia, you stand up and you go to the front as you're leaving, you pay. There's not many restaurants where they bring the check to the table. That's like an American slash European thing. Huh. Um, at least in like, not ultimate, not very, very high-end restaurants. And maybe Korea has changed by now, but you go, you pay as you go out. Um, that's, um, so that's, that's another big thing. Um, uh, I mean, I knew like, you know, why people wore shoes in the house, like what be doing. <laughs> um, like that was whatever. Um, um, outside of that, I mean, there wasn't that much. Co- oh, 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 last thing, um, freeways, like how big and wide roads were. Right. Um, and how fast people were going on freeways. Like in Korea, that's not a thing. Um, first, like roads are very narrow. Um, but yeah, I would say those like infrastructure related things also very like culture shock. The scale, like America's huge. Yeah, I think I think in terms of like the when you pay uh, in a restaurant, I think China, I think half of the restaurants uh, you will pay when you leave, but half mm-hmm. they will bring the check to you. Sure. So that's a thing in China from my experience at least, but Korea, definitely, I think like majority of the times you bring the check uh, as you leave. Right. So, right. so like my culture shock in the UK, oh my God. <laughs> I think, I think this is more of a people thing. Um, so mm. like everyone swears a lot. So, mm. so like, you know, with friends, you're like, oh, like, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing. But with their parents, like, yeah, mm. Mm. <laughs> that was, that was big. So I was, I was, I was, with this girl um oh and uh, <laughs> with this girl <laughs> um so yeah so it was during christmas uh i it was the, my very first time uh going to a white family sure 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 and this town especially it's i i, I oh my god so the, the place, the city I study in, it's called Nottingham. So it's like right in the middle of England. Okay, okay. There's, there's, uh, so my school, there's a campus in China and Malaysia. So there are loads of Asians, exchange students coming in. Sure. Uh, and there are loads of like Turkish people, like Indian, Pakistani people. Like it's literally just very diverse. Sure. So, and London, as you can imagine, it's huge. It's, I guess it's like California, New York. But when I went to, so she lives in Hull and that's the, I, I'd say the equivalent of Arkansas. Oh my God. Wow. wow. Yeah. When I first got there, the very first, I'm not even kidding you. The very first thing I noticed was that everyone was white. Mm. Everyone. I was in the city mm. hall. Everyone was white. And I was like, oh my God, this, I, I mm. genuinely felt. But no one, I was, I was kind of expecting at that point. I'm like, okay, you know what? Just say all the shit you want to me i'm ready for sure, it sure but sure but but everyone didn't seem to like care so i was like no yeah and how universities work in the uk at least for mine is you have uh autumn 
uh, and you've got Christmas holiday and you've got exam season. Done. You've got spring uh, semester, you've got Easter holiday, and you've got exam season. So it's mm. same. So during Christmas holiday, uh, we were studying for exams, and her mom came in the her room, and like like you know like kind of stress stress with exam. You know you don't know shit, and you've got like a week left. Sure. And her mom walked in like even knocked like that's not a thing in my family. You don't mom. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. You don't. You don't have a choice. Like whatever food that wanted to be, that's what you have for dinner. Oh. Right? That kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm not... Uh, do you know who Russell Peter is? Do you know? Yeah, uh, of course, of course, yeah, of course. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of his thing. And, you know... He's so funny. When he, when he talks about, uh, you know, when he was hanging out with the white kid and the white kid gave him tips on, like, how to, like, just leave, like, try to, you know, like, stay away from you. Yeah, yeah. Mom, and the white kid would tell... Russell Peters would, like, tell your mom to fuck off. <laughs> and... <laughs> I thought I thought that was like even I was like I was really young when I watched that and I was like you know what that can't be right that you know he's just doing it for I can't be and the mom the mom walks into the room and she was so stressed I like it's not even stress she I, I think she just freaks out quite often and she fucking told her mom to like mom just fucking leave me alone just fuck off and I'm like Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if this is a white thing. And if that happened in my family, I would get my ass like whooped. <laughs> like that. I, I don't know. That was something huge. But I, I think it's just like really casual thing with my friends when they when their family uh, parents came to visit, like my housemates, and uh, their parents would be like, "Oh, like, uh, like you know, the parents, you know, they care about a lot of stuff." Sure. And. And my friend Ollie would be like, just mom, fuck off, just leave me alone. So it's it's a very casual thing. And Damn. that that was that was pretty big. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, so I also want to kind of talk about I think as Asians, I think we kind of can't like leave this out. So were your parents like tiger parents? Or like were they strict? No, no. Um, if anything, I think. My parents are very, very loose. Um, mm. Like, and like, I don't even want to say the term like, oh, for, for, for Asian parents, they're no, I, like, in general, my parents are very like, mm. let me do what I want. Um, I love like hanging out. I love hanging with people. Um, and I would often prioritize hanging out over, over studying or doing things I needed to do, um, which in, in hindsight is a very bad thing to do. But I, I, I've, yeah, my parents were very loose, very like, just do what you want. Um, and I think that ultimately accumulated to who I am today. Um, I think they're a little bit tighter with my brother just because he's kind of a different person. Um, I think he needs to be somewhat controlled, but um, I'm also just like someone that does things on my own pretty well. Um, and I think they recognize that. There's no, uh, there's no one size fits all parenting. I mean, if there wasn't, everyone would be following it. I think um, you just got to do what you think is right. Um, it is, it is funny that you say that. Um, and I mean, it's, it's one of those obligatory questions, but I think one of the funniest things that like people just don't recognize is like on any TV show, whether it's like Conan or Jimmy Kimmel, whatever, and an Asian celebrity comes out, like it's Steven Young or whatever, any of those guys, like one of the first questions is like, 
hey, like, what did your parents think about when you pursued <laughs> acting? Like, how how more obvious could you make it with like, I mean, I think stereotypes come from truth. Um, so I have no problem diving into stereotypes, but like, how generic of a question, like, can you ask? Like, have you ever seen like, I don't know, like DiCaprio get asked, like, what, Leo, like, what did your, what did your parents think about when you pursued <laughs> acting? Or you ever see like Emma Stone get asked, like, what did your parents think about when you pursued acting? Like, it, it's such a like openly whatever, like, and like the thing that, that makes me mad as someone that's like relatively not politically correct. And I think stuff like that is dumb. And like, you could ask whatever you want, you are the host, but like, just imagine the uproar if it was any other minority, if it was an African-American or Latin American and the host asked a very generic question. Um, imagine, imagine the media uproar that would bring if a African-American guest was on the show and Jimmy Kimmel asked some question about like, I don't know, like, do you like, are you good at basketball? Like, like it, like it, the, <laughs> the, the level of question that yeah. is, that is, Oh, what did your parents think about when you pursued acting is equivalent to like the level of immaturity and just lack of host creativity of the question of like, what, like, are you good at basketball or do you like basketball to African-American? Like, it's just a worthless question that is purely like a generic stereotype based. And like my only, my only pissed off thing is that like, there's just such a difference in the level of uproar. And they say like, it's because like, Asian Americans are more reserved and like, it's our fault, whatever, like you should be more uproar. I think one, like it's not something to care about that much, but two, like you can't be hypocritical and say like, you're not standing up for us when you also don't stand up for the return. Like I, I, like, I I just, I just, for me, it's more of, I think pissed off is the wrong terminology. Like, I just think it's funny. Like, it's just, it's really funny to me that the exact same thing is not called out on um and there's just such obvious things that just people don't talk about and i like one of the things that i really want to like i talked earlier let me do a little self-promotion here um like when i start or hopefully when i start like my podcast and something that i want to do with I've, i've been trying with my blog is like there's so many things like unspoken things that are just so obvious um and in this age of like woke culture people talk about like the like there's, there's, there's buzzwords that everyone talks about, but there's a whole array of things about this world that for whatever reason, like the media and people just don't talk about that. I just find really strange. Yeah. Um, and I want to like, I want to really openly talk about those things. Do you think, do you think what you said, you know, like, okay, I seriously, I might need to edit this out, but like, do you think it's because racism is such a big thing between the white and black community so like there's the black lives matter which does and, and like you know like i i know the whole like oh like you know people saying oh like all lives matter like th- that's bullshit i know very clear of that but with the black lives matter thing uh with the coronavirus like asian community have been like hit really really fucking hard and if you sure. And like you see these like old ladies getting pushed down, especially in the US. Like I, I, sure. I'm not sure in the UK, but like you see these old ladies and like very old like grandpa grandmas getting punched, like getting pushed down the subway, sure. getting set on fire. Like how is that not a thing? Like like breaking news shit. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I 
this is one of the videos I'm also proud of. I have a video called Instagram can't solve racism, where I just like go off about how like all this stuff is such so stupid. But I, I could have, one of the things I always regret is like, I wish I just wrote down what I think is going to happen and then say like, I told you so. Um, I, it's zero surprise to me that no one cares about those things. Um, I think one, it is important to recognize that black versus white is embedded deeply in this country's history. And whether or not you believe that systemic or systematic racism is still around is, is outside of the question. Like that is obviously the focus of this country. There's not enough Asians, I think in general, in this country for that to be a focus. I will say one of the things that I also find interesting is many of the videos that you see of, of Asian grandparents getting pushed to the ground word and, and, and I, I, it's okay to not edit this out. Like many of the, many of the people that have pushed Asian grandparents to the ground are African-Americans. Yeah. Um, and no one addresses that. I've, I've never seen anyone say this is a rise in black on Asian crime. Um, and personally, I don't think it should be labeled that way. I mean, there, it's just like this Corona thing probably made a bad name for Asians and, um, there's this weird tension between races and I don't really consider it black on Asian crime, but, but let's say that five, and there were far more Asian grandparents, but let's say five black grandparents were pushed to the ground by white men or white women. I just can't imagine the uproar of white on black elderly crime has spiked by 5,000%. Like, and I, the additional irony is like Asians aren't doing this correctly either. And like, maybe I'm being hypocritical, but I remember that whole, um, there's a shooting in Atlanta yeah. Um, or, um, and there's like a week of like, everyone's saying like, let's fight for Asians. Like Asians are going crazy. Like posting those stupid, like yellow squares on Instagram, like yellow out Tuesday or whatever, posting on the Instagram stories, you know, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris coming out and saying they're going to fight for Asian rights. All these companies coming out saying they want to stand by Asian people, whatever lasted what like three days um what, what there is no like i think it's twofold i think one obviously they don't mean anything they say it's just more for publicity and, and it's out of obligation but two how are you gonna fight it i i i think it's wrong to say just because there's no solution we shouldn't do anything about it like that's a bad way to think about it but at the same time what what are we fighting when we say like stop asian hate like what are, what are we there needs to be something concrete that we're trying to get over. Like all these race-based movements, they say that there's a problem and maybe there is, um, but there is no end goal. Like end racism can't be an end goal because I'm sorry to say racism will not end. That's, yeah. that's not how this world works. Racism is at a individual level. It's something that we can't, whether it's, whether, whether it's societal, whether it's something that we're born with, th there is just an inherent feeling of the other that you don't necessarily associate as well with compared to people that you are similar to. That's an inherent human trait. You relate to people that are similar to you and you tend to isolate people that you're not similar to. That is just, I think a, everyone is like that. Everyone is racist. There is no one on earth that is not racist. You could, you could show it in kinder ways. You can go out of your way to not say racist things. I would argue most of my educated people that have been well-raised are not racist in the definition of what I think people are striving for. But when you say let's end racism, like wh what are we ending? There's nothing to fight. And, and, and in that way, I think in a way, this fight for anti-racism is even more difficult than earlier times of like civil rights era in a way, 
because back then there was something tangible to fight against. There were laws that were literally racist. They were race based. It disallowed non-white people to vote. Like that is literally a racist law right now. Yes. There's gerrymandering. There's, there's tax law. There's things that are fishy that are probably based on race, but there's nothing explicitly saying Asian people can't do this. Black people can't do this. Like on the surface, everything is equal. So people, what people are fighting is feelings and people are fighting this like notion that there's racism around. And like, that's fine. I think it's, it's, it's important to be mad about things that you care about. But when I, when I ask people that, that say like black lives matter or like, or we need to end racism. And I, I really delve in and ask them like, so what is the, the end goal you achieve? Like, what is your utopia in your mind? Like, there is no answer. It's just no goal, endless spray of buzzwords of saying, let's end racism. I, I think, and I think that's very concerning as a generation because you're never going to feel one achievement and two, you're going to forever feel frustrated. And it's a very dark hole to go into when you constantly feel like nothing is being achieved. Right. <sighs> something, something that, whenever so like when the whole like george floyd thing was a huge thing uh like on instagram everyone was putting like blackout tuesdays like and like specifically like uh when my white friends were posting it i kind of like i don't like i kind of questioned like sure are you are you seriously doing this because you truly mean it like i'm sure you do that it's it's a great thing that you're showing support but are you also doing this to um, kind of get like the attention? You know, you're saying like, oh, like Black Lives Matter. Like, of course it does. But like, what are you seriously doing to change this if you really truly believe it? Like my black, sure. my black friend, um, very close friend of mine, he didn't post anything, but he felt the pressure to. And like my friend in the Netherlands, uh, she was pro, I think she was going to the protest, uh, the Black Lives Matter protest. And she's half Asian, half white, uh, but there were kids there just, just going there in the like anti-racism campaign, like protest. And yet those kids, like the white kids were like saying like, oh, chink to that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like, what the fuck are you, Aussie, what the fuck are, are you there for? Are you there for attention or like, are you seriously, you know, like, like what's the point of doing that? And it's just like, because of that, my impression has been like, okay, like, what are you trying to do, really? Like, you know, I don't, it's kind of messed up, really, I feel like. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's rough. I don't know. Like, like you said, you know, like, racism is never going to end. And I, I feel like, I feel like, these problems is what makes life so great you know imagine imagine if life was perfect everything was perfect like life would be boring as shit like because you have these challenges you know you work your way out you know i guess that's I think, I, 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 no that's an interesting point too i mean i wouldn't say i don't think racism i don't think racism makes life great but <laughs> but 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 I, I do think that there is a inner strive especially these people who like post black squares on tuesdays like I think they need a purpose. They need to like feel like they're important. They need to feel like they're fighting for something. So we, we're, we're constantly inflating these problems even more so. Um, and like, there's obviously anecdotes on both sides, but I remember I, I, I watched this video 
Um, this this like white white messiah white championing thing I think is also fascinating. How like white people end up making like minority problems their problem, and then they 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 are now these the face slash speakers of like problems of like black people, for example. Um, I I know for I mean this is my political colors going to come out now, but like liberals and Democrats are huge on like voter ID laws. They think like voter ID is oppression and people shouldn't be able to you know, filter people based on having IDs. And they're like, black people are being oppressed by not have, because so many of them don't have IDs. And like, that's basically oppressing black people. Um, and this is, I, I will I will make sure to note that this is anecdotal and there's stats against this, blah, blah, blah. I watched this video. This guy goes into a predominantly black neighborhood and interviews like 30 people, everyone's black. And he asks, what do you think about voter ID law? Every, every single one, they're like, what are you talking about? And the guy's like, do you think you need an ID to vote? And they're like, of course, like you need to verify your identification. And he asked them, like, do you have ID on you? And they're like, yes. What person, what Ryan Minden person in America doesn't? They all pull out their ID. And it's basically showing this notion that white people are <laughs> just being, they're, they're being, oh, they're, they're stereotyping slash statistically quote unquote being racist by saying black people tend to not have IDs. Therefore, requiring IDs to vote is racist. But that is under the assumption that black people don't have IDs. Once again, I know that what I just said is an anecdotal example, but in this video, these black people stare at the interviewer as if like, they're, they're like, are you kidding me? Like, of course you need ID. And of course I carry ID. Like, what are you talking about? Um, I, I, I think it's just, I partly blame the media and I don't, I, don't even, I don't even mean to say like liberal media. I'm just like overall media, like the way that news article outlets and blog post article outlets are incentivized the same way that YouTubers are incentivized is to have eye-catching buzzwordy yeah. article titles. Um, and, and you see so many articles nowadays where the contents of the article have nothing to do with the title of the article. The title will say like COVID vaccine causing disease in 17 year olds or whatever. And then you go to the article and like, there's one sentence about it <laughs> because the, because the clicks are what matters. That's what drives ad revenue. Um, I know this because I'm someone that deals with ad revenue. Um, so, but, but, the, the, but there's so many people that I think depend on headlines and depend on buzzwords to create and curate their worldview. Um, and I think the power of such headlines going through Reddit, even like people scroll through Reddit all day. They don't actually click on the post. They, they see the lines on the front page and the number of front page one-liners that you really should question are concerning. Like some of them say the most absurd things and you're like, oh, that must be true. But once you read into it, like the sources are not there. It's written by some like five-year-old. Like there's just so many issues, I think, in current day society where people make problems out of nothing because of the attention value. Yeah. Um, and, and, and frankly, like if that's where my, what my money depended on, I would be doing the same thing. Um, <laughs> but it's very dangerous because so much of this world is, is sheep. Um, I, and I, I'm, I apologize in advance. I, I think I do mean this in a relatively derogatory way, but I think as I live life, like majority of the world is not that smart. Like that's just a reality. Um, and I think media outlets, companies, big companies know that. Um, and, 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 and openly, I'm sure you and I have made decisions or have worldviews based on skewed statistics and wrong things because you and I are also sheep. We're all sheep. Um, but, but I think a lot of this world is very, very not smart and very, very not educated. Um, and I think large outlets exploit that by saying false things all the time. I guess, I guess like about the whole news thing, like, I guess 
it's only going to be that way because of profit maximization. That's how, by like getting the views, that's how they're going to make money. So like, it's exactly the same concept as like clickbaiting on YouTube, you know? Right, right. Quite messed up. Um, ay, ay, ay. So... Uh. <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've gone far we've, we've talked a lot i like this, I like this. Let's keep, let's keep going. yeah yeah did you did you see the and i think it was doing mba where like there was oh fergie <laughs> yeah 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 it's just it, it song's so hard all right let's get back into it let's fucking piss some people off <laughs> you, you should definitely filter that out <laughs> <laughs> okay i mean i mean here's the thing so uh, I don't know if you listen to Nick Feingold. So he's like the business owner. He's like the big guy I interviewed. What I loved about him was that the straight off, straight out the bat, he was saying like everyone's entitled to have their own opinion. Oh yeah. And like, just respect that. And, you know, everyone will have like different opinions. And in my case, I think whether like, if it's like vegan, like LGBTQ, that shit, like really I will respect you and I will love you for who you are. And like, you know, like this is like straight up. And I think as long as you have your reasoning, I think it's completely fine. So I guess, you know, it's fine. So, okay. Back to your background stuff. Uh, so, you know, there's a recent movie, Minari starring Steven Young. Sure. And for those who don't recognize the name, he's the Asian guy in Walking Dead who could you relate to that movie as could you relate to that um not really um i didn't really go to a farm um i think i was older than alan in the movie and then slightly younger than the girl maybe mm-hmm. um there I've, i made a video on it in korean um in my on my korean channel talking about that movie um and my thoughts on it um it was very well made but i i it would be it would it would do people that went through that experience this injustice if i said i related because my immigration life i think was far easier than than what that movie portrayed Mm. i see do did you ever get confused with your identity in terms of like where home is like where you belong uh no no i think i've ever since i'm by the time that i was even aware of like what like where home is as a concept like i was pretty like californian um i love i I mean i love california i consider california my home all my friends think of me as a very californian guy um yeah i don't think i've ever had like a where home is crisis okay i see um, I think, I think to talk about a bit about my background. So I went to, so all my life, uh, if you're in China, you have to attend international schools if you're a foreigner. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing mm-hmm. that's the whole stuff of like censorship. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, so middle school, like primary school, all the way up to, um, I don't know what you call it, GCSE. Like, do you know what MYP is? Middle year program. So it's up until grade 10. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
So, um, so primary school till grade ten, I was in a Singaporean international international school, and mm-hmm. very average. Like there were like like ninety nine percent. Like a lot of the teachers were white, but ninety nine percent were everyone from like Hong Kong, Taiwan, Korea, Japan, like those, uh, like that. And sure, uh, the reason why I'm kind of saying this is because like the transition to high school was a pretty big one. So. The school I went to, everyone like it was. It wasn't known for a big sports school. Um, we weren't amazing at sport. We wouldn't be like our first place in like this regional like tournament thing. Okay. And my year had an average of C plus B minus, so like very average. And I went to a fancy British high school. And in the UK. It's it's a very prestigious like high school, but in, in in China like everywhere else, it's just like international school. This sure, sure, sure. Right, and all my friends were in in the Singaporean international school were very average people. Like, uh, I mean, like they're all expats. So so um, they I guess like every all the parents had like above average income. Sure, but, but with Dulwich, that's a British high school. Damn, like that was on a different scale. So mm. I had friends. I, I know this guy. Uh, he had a private jet. Wow. I know. Yeah, I know this girl whose dad was um, APAC region CEO of Hyatt Hotel. Wow. So her entire life, she lived in the presidential suite her entire life. So she <laughs> doesn't know what like so, so-called like norm is. Sure. Uh, I think like being with these kids, like it was amazing. Like I did really like a lot of them, but I would definitely say that like with the mentality wise, like I would say that they're a bit soft. So mm-hmm. to, to speak of an example, I was on a school trip. So, and like this, they were, they were making this trip sound like extremely challenging. The whole point of this trip is like to challenge yourself to really like test the limit. So sure, sure. there were a lot of uh, new entrants, including myself with like very average background. So I had a lot of friends that I could relate to, I guess, like we had like my friendship group, which was big. And we were the kids who would like always like have the lowest grades in class. Yeah. And um, yeah, just to give you an idea of what it was like i had my friend called aiden and it was our very first chemistry exam and you know you hear about the school like their average gpa is like 3.9 out of Mm. so like very very well educated school and i remember i was sitting my first ever chemistry exam and it's basic stuff it's basic basic stuff about periodic table but i was like oh my god like I'm going to fail. Like, I have no clue what's going on. And then this Aiden guy who also comes from a very normal background, he was like, beat, sure. he was beatboxing. He was like doing exams. He was like, like, I don't know what he was playing in his head, like fucking nodding his head. And it was like, yo, Julian, can I get that ruler? And it's like being all cool and stuff. And I'm like, oh, damn, these guys are smart. Turns out he got, he got like a 1.8. G- I, I don't uh-huh. know GPA works, but like, yeah, we're, we're like that kind of kids uh, all together. And so, like, about this uh, school trip, we're expecting, like, oh, my God, like, are we going to sleep in a tent where, like, humidity is, like, 80%, 40, like, 40 degrees Celsius? I don't know what that's uh, in the Fahrenheit. 
and we're like expecting these like crazy stuff like and we're like oh my god like what should we bring like survival kit like <laughs> all these kind of stuff turns out the challenge was oh we're going to have like a really big challenge i know it's 2022 uh, i mean 20 what was that 2019 uh we're trying not to use cell phones there <laughs> like, you know like come on like that's so that the, that was their challenge the like that's how kind of soft they even the teachers kind of looked upon because like there were there were a lot of spoiled kids there like seriously sure, a lot of sure. Kids. and you know like and I think this kind of brings down to our main topic. Finally, we got into this. Are today's generation too soft? What do you think about this? Is today's generation too soft? Wow. Um, I mean, the short answer would be yes, right? But I, this is where I struggle. I think being soft, everything is relative. Like I, there's a punchline that I always go to is I, I wholeheartedly believe that wholeheartedly that the pain that Kim Kardashian feels when she loses her favorite diamond ring is, is not laughable. Like, I think she genuinely feels bad when that happens. Like, I remember there was a show or not remember it, but on keeping up with the Kardashians, there's a scene where she loses her diamond earrings or something in the pool and she starts crying and people are like roasting her saying like whatever i'm sure she could have done it for the, for the show and, and more dramatic but like let's say that actually happened i'm obviously being exaggerative but i think pain is relative i think it depends on where you are in society um what you've experienced before what your upbringing is and i think you can't necessarily dismiss someone's feelings at that time um, and compare it to another. Like, I, I, I really hate this like comparison thing of like, when people say, oh, like you should be grateful. There's blank people, blank places that are starving. Like, yes, objectively starving obviously is far worse than your toenail breaking. I, I completely agree objectively. Um, and these are like end to end examples, but I think it's hard to say someone is feeling any, any, less or more bad than someone else just because of your outer view of a situation. Um, but, but I think there is a question of is today's society and generation, especially I think people that are slightly younger than us, um, are they taught to be softer? That, that I think is my biggest concern. Um, I have a younger brother, um, and he's in high school now. Um, and, I think this, this like overemphasis on like victim mentality. Um, and there's this whole, like, um, and I should, I probably should read more into it before I talk on it, but there's like the whole like critical race theory thing going on. Um, and, um, political correctness, like there's, there's, there's forces at play that I think evokes slash pro provokes and encourages what I, I think we would simplify as soft behavior. Um, and I think that leads to a very, very difficult and not very fun world. Um, and I, and I, I really want to ask people that are advocates of like extreme political correctness and um, things like that. Like, has the world really gotten better? Has, is, are people happier and less offended and 
has racism died down as a product of those movements? It's because we should be fighting for those things if there's if there's progress, right? But I would assume just just if we asked point blank, went on the streets and asked people, has racism gone down in the past 10 years? I would argue most people would say no. If anything, I they feel like racism has gone worse in the past 10 years. I don't think any racist laws have been passed in the past 10 years, explicitly at least. I don't think income levels have gotten worse across races. Um, there's many statistical signs that show that racism is going away. Um, and we're making active efforts at across all industries to have diversity programs and bring in people. And that's a whole different topic of its own. But essentially, like systematically, I don't think there's anything that's pointing to the fact that we're, we're encouraging racism. But I would argue if we ask people on the streets, do you feel like the world is less racist? I would argue nine out of 10 people would say, actually, I feel like there's been more racism recently and more um, issues. Um, violent actions have gone up. Crime has gone up recently. Um, hate crimes have gone up recently. Um, and I, I, can't fa- I, I can't not think that a lot of that comes from this, this like movement of like, one, making people who are quote unquote in the majority bad people, making white people look bad, making men look bad, making straight and conservatives and Christians and so on and so forth, the bad people, and then everyone else, the victims or the good people. Like there are definitely things that those people that I just mentioned have done wrong in the past, but is the most effective way of going for a world where people are better and nicer by pointing fingers and saying, you guys are bad. You guys should be regretful of your actions. When many of the people that are in those groups really haven't done those actions. And if anything, I know plenty of people that, that don't have any of those adjectives associated that are equally bad and, and do racist things and infiltrate, I think, poor actions. But just because of the label that they belong to, they avoid such pointing fingers, which to me, by definition, is racism, because you are saying, because you belong to a certain race, you are, you should be condemned. And I, and that just creates further polarization, polarization. I bet if we did a national poll, people would say they feel racially that the world is more polarized than ever. By gender, we're more polarized than ever. By religion, we're more polarized than ever. By education level, we're more polarized than ever. By income level, we're more polarized than ever. And I can't help but think that most of this is because everyone is shoving this down our throat and making us hyper aware. And two, they're limiting our ability to talk about these things because of political correctness and a lack of conversations like this. Yeah, 100% agree. That's That was my approach uh, to this problem. So I think something to kind of uh, take into account is like what's considered racist, right? would you say would you say if like a right white guy just random white guy or any other race uh approached you and say niha would you consider that racist no i i like that that's something that i i like really struggle to understand like exactly yeah i think i think i've been taught i've been taught to get mad at that i've been taught they're uneducated or they could be trying to be funny i think americans i think americans inherently like relating and establishing connection. And, and that's their way of saying like, I know something about Asians. I will say most of my educated group of people and people that I, I encounter on a daily basis 
aren't dumb enough to say ni hao to me. Like, that's just like a weird, stupid thing to say. Yeah. But is that ra- racist? No, like, I, I just, I fail to recognize where the line is drawn between like racism and just stupidity slash like immaturity. Like there, there's a sharp difference. And like, I, I, I'm really not sure what people expect out of a country that they so-call a melting pot, a diverse array of people. Yes, we should always strive to be better. But the, the thing that I always turn to is point me to a country with this level of diversity that does it better. It, it, human nature does not allow for the utopia that these people have in mind, that it will just never happen. If that's the case, then the current generation that is being educated, so-and-so called, so-called, to be less racist, should be less racist. I don't think just the 15-year-olds in this world are in any less racist than the 80-year-olds. I really don't think so. I see many kids be explicitly racist all the time. I, I don't think it's a problem of the system. I think it's an inherent human quality that you should learn to, to put down and, and, and not be offensive in ways that you, racism does exist. Like, don't get me wrong. Racism does exist. People are racist. People say racist things and people behave racistly. But there's a difference between pointing things out that are clearly racist, clearly things we should fix and go out of our way to say, hey, you're being racist. You should stop that versus saying like that guy said, me how to you. That's so racist. Put him on blast on the media. Like <laughs> what, what does that accomplish? I, what, what, do you think he's suddenly going to have a, oh, I know not to say me how to Asian people anymore. I'm not going to be racist starting now. People don't behave like that. You and I know our parents tell us to do certain things over and over again, or, you know, make our bed 5,000 times. We don't make our bed the 5,000 first time. You don't make your bed again. Like we don't learn, but that's not how human beings work. Right. I think something that's really interesting and then yeah, definitely going to come back to that is I think my opinion is that people are getting too sensitive and that's what's causing people to believe that they think racism has gone up for like the past 10 years. Yes, sure. And I think it only becomes racist if you, if you have the intention to bully people saying stuff like, uh, saying stuff like, something that includes racial slur like that's sure sure there's a clear intention to that but if it's a kid doing it or if it's like someone who has no clue so ignorant like that's that's a different story right and right there was a case where dana white uh called out floyd mayweather for being racist because he was uh and he said uh floyd mayweather said jeremy lim was like during his peak time, I don't know if you know about this. He was breaking records, like was and Mayweather was saying he was getting all the credits just because he's Asian, and black people don't ever get that. Like that's complete bullshit. Like look at like fucking Steph Curry, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant. Like these, like it's a black dominated sport. That's for sure. And like there are a lot of great players. So that's just stupid. The second thing he said was that. Um, he said Manny Pacquiao should be uh, making sushi somewhere and Dana White said that this was racist but I think Mayweather was just dumb enough to like right, right, not right. being able to differ- differentiate that which is not racist he's just being stupid right he's and, being stupid right and Dana White saying that this is racist 
I think it's it's I think this is where like the whole like oversensitive thing like is sure. played. They don't know how to like differentiate that, which is difficult. Uh, it's it's a very gray area. So I don't know. It's and you know like jokes are different. Like you know you got you got some like racist jokes that piss me off, but like they're funny eventually. Sure. <laughs> If my friend came up to me and said, "Like, dude, your face is so flat. Did you do like a hundred yard dash in a ninety yard gym?" Like, you know, sure, sure. Uh, those things are funny, but I don't know. Like, do, do do you have like any other opinion like about like if this is purely due to like people being too sensitive these days? With like, what what factors do you think include? Do you think it's like social media? No, no. I think social media is huge, but I I I, I keep going back to what you just said. I think it's we're 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 being told what to be offended by yeah um which is if you really think about what i just said that is an absurd concept we're being taught what to be offended by um by the same people that complain about what we're taught they they always call out like we're taught that um certain races should behave certain ways, or we're taught that certain races aren't attractive. So they fight against that by saying, you should be offended by those things. And now we are offended by those things. Like I, I, I have never been hyper offended by these things until people have told me that these are things I should be offended by. And the fact that Dana White is telling me what I should be offended by as an Asian. Exactly. My, assumption is da- my assumption is Dana White is not Asian. He's white. Shocker. I, I <laughs> like, I get where he's coming from. Maybe he's genuinely a good guy. Maybe he cares. Yeah. But I think there's many Dana Whites of the world. They're just, they're doing it to ride the wave. Like it gives them a pedestal to stand on. It makes them a hero. Um, it gets them to be on an article titled Dana White shouts out Floyd Mayweather. And that's an instant clicker. You could it it could literally be all the buzzwords in the world. They could say Dana White calls out Floyd Mayweather for being racist about Jeremy Lin. Like that's like six of the top keywords on Google. Yeah. Um I but here's another thing. Let me let me play devil's advocate for myself. If we go towards a world where people are taught that this is bad stuff, that this is things to be offended by, and then in turn we actually do we come to believe that these are offensive, and then we end up feeling like they are actually offensive then by definition, they are offensive, right? Like we can't fight that. We can be aware of the fact that this is something that's, that's been taught, but like we are offended by those things now. Um, and I think that's very hard to isolate because there's probably things that we think we shouldn't be offended by where we, are, we aren't offended by because we've been taught that we shouldn't be offended by it. Like everything we're technically, you could say we're being taught. And I'm sure on some other parallel universe, the two of us are podcasting about how stupid people like you and I right now are and saying like, saying like meow is definitely racist for blah, blah, blah reasons. Um, I mean, everyone is, I think, entitled to their opinion. I think some opinions are correct and some opinions are wrong, but, but I, I think at least in this, this universe and at least in what I believe and what I know to be true we are definitely going towards a world where, and we're already in a world where we're taught to be offended and the person that can be the most offended somehow come out, comes out on top. Um, and, we, and we go into a very 
very uncomfortable lack of conversation, lack of humor, lack of communication world. We're already there. People don't talk. Uh, people are scared to talk. People are scared to express opinions. The moment you hear someone is a blank, the conversation is done. Some of the most absurd situations I've ever been on. This is the thing that I love. I love, I love calling out is when you know someone for a while, or like, let's say you're in a conversation for, with someone for like three hours and it's going great. Like you're kicking it off. You're hitting it off, especially with like someone of the opposite gender. And like, there's like some kind of like interest going on. Like, this is great. You're at a bar. The moment that person or you finds out that that person holds a different belief than you in one single thing or in a political direction, your entire view of them changes. You're like, oh, this person sucks. I've had that so many times where for hours or maybe even days, the conversation is going great. It, it's like, we're just hitting it off. Like 99% of our identities mesh together. And there's things that we might disagree on, like pineapple on pizza, or if mint chocolate is a good thing. But the moment they find out that your political or religious affiliation is different, that somehow changes their entire perception of you. That fascinates me that we've come to that world where we profess that this should be an open-minded, accepting of everyone world. But no, there are things that the moment you disagree, there's something that comes up that, that you strongly disagree about. You can't see that person the same, even though for the past few hours or past few days, you were absolutely fine. It's a really weird thing. Like, How does that one thing that has not affected the previous correspondence suddenly change your entire perception of someone? Can you, can you take an example? Sure, sure. I, I mean, I think you could be on a date and you could be on multiple dates. And then maybe by the fifth date, it comes kind of serious and, and you've had a blast by now and there's things you disagreed on. And, um, and I'll, I'll use a neutral example. Let's say you come out and say, hey, I actually um, voted for Biden last year. And then that person happened to be a Trump voter. There are people out there that that will instantly change their entire perception of that person. And they just, they can't. Right. People send me this all the time. Like I'm not, I'm not really active on, on dating apps per se, but I, I remember, I, maybe I saw it on like a Buzzfeed article or something, but one of the most common Tinder profile things is don't swipe right. If you voted for Trump, like that, that's yeah. the entire thing. I'm right. like, yeah, like, should we take, should we take Tinder seriously? Probably not. But like, I don't know. I think identity politics is is a very scary thing, um, and we'll just become more and more polarized. I, I guarantee it, um, because all these vacuum chambers just continue to exist. I don't know. I think I think like with the Biden one and the Trump one, it, it is a tricky one because, you know, like Trump at the end of the day is a businessman. Like he did maybe did do some like sketchy shit, but. At the same time, Biden, like, do you know how Joe, Joe Rogan describes him? Mm. Like a flickering torch into a dark forest, a pitch black. No, I mean, no, plenty of problems. Yeah. <laughs> plenty of problems. Plenty of problems. I don't know. I don't know too much about politics, but uh, I guess, I don't know. It's kind of stupid. I feel like people are categorizing themselves into- Right, the right. That's a huge problem. Exactly. And with the whole, I think this connects to- this whole like uh, sensitive, like people being soft, I think this connects to 
I think there's a common theme in like LGBTQ, vegan, like all these like social issue right now. Um, so, okay, let's, I think, I think, okay, I, I can't want to talk about culture appropriation. Sure. I think it's complete bullshit because the, the world we're living right now, it's a melting pot of culture. So what's wrong with kind of like incorporating each other's culture, like fusion food, like that's literally the definition of cultural appropriation. <laughs> No, 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 the melting pot of culture. So, sure. And to take an example, so Jeremy Lin uh, had a had dreadlock, and there's this black NBA player, former. Oh, yeah, I remember, I remember. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it was Kenyon Martin who said on his Instagram story, I think he said, Let me get this tweet out. Um, so he said, Do I need to remind this boy his last name is Lin? Martin said, with a sarcastic face and tone like come on man let's stop it with these people there's no way possible he he would have made it on one of our teams with that bullshit on his head uh come on man someone needs to tell him like all right bro we get it you want to be black like we get it uh but your last name is lynn and lynn uh he comes back with the greatest tweet ever he says yeah i remember i remember yeah he says hey man uh it's all good you don't have to like my hair and definitely entitled to your opinion actually i'm legit grateful you sharing it to be honest at the end of the day i appreciate that i have dreads and you have chinese tattoos because yeah yeah it's a sign of respect and i think as minorities the more we appreciate each other cultures the more we influence mainstream society thanks for everything you did for the nets and <laughs> had your poster up on my wall growing up just, just got destroyed and i don't know and like the, the last time we kind of like chat, I brought this up. So like it was this white kid wearing the Chinese traditional costume walking around his college. And he was asking, oh, like, is this, uh, is this offensive to you? And a lot of the people, students said, yes, that is so offensive. Like you should probably take that off. And when he went to Chinatown, like every, all the people there were like, oh, it's beautiful. Like I really like yeah. it. So that's a very clear example of how people's perspective has been so much influenced by, I don't know, media? Is it media? Or just like, like you said, like they're taught that this is wrong. And it's just ridiculous, I think. And I feel like this goes all the way, flows into like vegan and like LGBTQ do, do you know much about the gender pronoun thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what, what's your opinion on that? Because I, I don't know too much about it. I just know that I have, I have a pretty strong opinion of, of it. What, what do you think about it? I mean, I, I think I've been – maybe I've never, like, explicitly talked about this because I was relatively careful on my, on my YouTube channel, but, like, I'm, I'm pretty – all my friends know my views. I, I mean, I'm a strong believer that there's two genders. Um, I, I don't think you can force me to identify you as something that I don't believe in. Um, but furthermore, furthermore, I do think, I do think that if it truly offends you that I am, it, I, I will say this, I shouldn't go out of my way to offend people. I think that is, that is wrong. Yes. If someone really wants to be addressed as she, even though they were born a he, like 
I will, I think I, will, I, I would respect that actually. It's the same as if you change your name, I would want to respect the name that you change. However, however, there should not be laws that require me to do so. Um, the same way that there's no laws requiring the opposite way. Um, and, and secondly, it should not be a crime to do the opposite way. There, there, are, there are lawsuits and there are examples at schools where professors fail to call someone by their intended pronoun and that becomes an entire issue of its own. Um, I don't know, it's a very confusing world that we live in. Um, I can't help but think that a lot of this is driven by the media. Um, I also fail to recognize, or how do I say this? Yeah, I, I think I, I just leave it at that. I, I, I believe in a he and she world. There are girls and there's boys. Um, I, I, I'm, I, I just, I, I'm not even mocking the, the community that believes that there's like 65 genders or whatever. I, if anything, I just, I don't understand why that's so, such a hyper focus and so important. Um, and it's something that everyone is just so like all these companies come out and say like they support pride month and they change their logos to rainbows for 30 days and then they, and then they completely forget about it. Like you said something very important earlier. I think everyone is entitled to their own opinions. If they thought about their opinions, I think that's even greater. Um, they should have reasoning behind why they think a certain way. But I can't help but think a lot of the people that are very sensitive about gender stuff, when you say something like what I just said, and I say, I believe in two genders, um, their immediate reaction is, you're a bigot, you're a terrible person, like you're anti-LGBTQ. How can you say that? You're mean, you don't, you don't verify people's identities. And a lot of times it's people that are living in a binary he or she world that have no like pronoun issues, quote unquote, that speak on behalf of those people and say, how dare you? Um, which I guess brings everything we talked about today back to full circle. Oftentimes it's not the people that are actually affected or influenced by these things. It's not the actual Asians fighting against hate against Asians. It's not the actual African-Americans fighting against actual, like whatever. It, it, it's, it's like people that speak on behalf of these people that somehow understand how people feel and they get aggregated um, and they feel offended, um, which is weird. It's, it's a really weird, weird thing. And then I think they justify it by saying like they're allies and if they don't fight for it, then they're standing around and not doing well. But they sometimes I think convolute and, and misinterpret the message and take it to a whole nother level. Um, one thing I'd also like to touch on is the fact that we're so hyper-focused on something and an issue that really affects such a small group of people. My assumption is that people that have questions over their gender identity or sexual orientation is a very, very small number of people on the 8 billion earth or even the 350 million Americans. And there's far bigger problems affecting far more people that we should turn our address to. Um, I think we should have like the fact that we have a pride month, but not a, and maybe I'm wrong, but we don't have like an orphan month or a foster children month or a low income children month or a shitty public education month, which brings awareness to things that affect millions of people across 
maybe billions across the world. The fact that we don't have any attention going to the fact that overdose from drugs went up 30% last year, that the number of domestic abuse cases and children not being able to state that they were abused at home because of all this Zoom university stuff. Like, why are we so hyper-focused on headline words that I think grab people's attention just because it's controversial? Um, solely because the media feeds off of it, there's people making money off of it. When there's far bigger issues that I think require far more attention. For me, it's not even a matter of whether I think that their causes are right or wrong, whether I think LGBTQ is fighting for the right thing. My bigger issue is things like that take away attention from things that I think actually matter. Um, I, I, rec- I distinctly recall there was an article on or a post on Reddit and it was by this verified guy from the LGBTQ community. And he went on a rant by saying, I don't feel oppressed in America for being part of the LGBTQ community. He said, he said, I don't know why all these straight people are going crazy and fight, quote unquote, fighting for my rights when I have never felt in America like oppressed or overly offended for being part of the LGBTQ community, especially now. And he doesn't understand why all these, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm actually quite certain it was a he, but he was saying that all these like pride festivals and people going crazy and all these like Instagram girls with a, with a rainbow flag and like an Instagram post, that, you know, like those outfits and stuff, like what are they actually fighting for? What are, what are they, what are they being proud of? Um, and I think it's difficult because these questions aren't quite, uh, these conversations aren't conversations we can have openly um, because the moment you, you say you're on the other side of things, um, they refuse to have a conversation and they refuse to understand why you think so. And, and you're automatically labeled a hater and a, and a, and a homophobe and a, and a bigot. Like, I, I think that's a, it's a very troubling thing. Um, and that, that scares me. Like the, the term homophobe also, I think, concerns me because by definition, like I am not phobic of the LGBTQ community. Like I'm not, I'm not scared or hating of, of the LGBTQ community. Um, there's a difference in opinion. The same way that I, I hope that the LGBTQ community, if I, were to, if I were to oversimplify, I don't think they're conservative phobes. Like I don't think they're scared of conservatives. Um, I would sure hope they don't hate conservatives. They disagree, but it, that's a matter of opinion. Right. Um, yeah, I think what I think is, I guess it is kind of a, I think it's always good to kind of like be in the issue to really think this through. And, you know, it, it is, it must be difficult to come out as gay because it is, you are a minority uh, at the end of the day. And you, I guess the whole point of this is to like spread awareness. And I think it's great, but with the whole gender pronoun, like what are you trying to achieve? Like say, say that you do at the end of the day, uh, get what you want, get the pronoun that you want. Like, how's it going to change you? It's only, they're only just words. I like, and you telling them that is to other people that you want to be called this, but they're going to be so many other people, uh, kind of hard to accept that and it's just i don't i don't see how it's going to work out and do you think do you think they're trying to make a political statement and like 
And I definitely agree that like government should focus more on like the bigger picture. Like they're literally kids starving. Like they're they're like like you said, domestic uh, abuse, uh, drug abuse has been like significantly increasing. Why are they focusing on this? Uh, and not only that, infrastructure wise, why are they trying to make a train that travels from say New York to I don't know, like Chicago in like 15 minutes. Like why spend money on that when you can spend like 15 like billion dollars on something else that will help the entire nation? Correct, correct. That's my that's my angle as well. Yeah. And oh no, it's it's I I, do. I think it's a, I think it's I think it's a practicality standpoint too, Julian. I I I genuinely wonder what what the end goal is. Um and my frustration is this to your point. There must be people, whether or not you agree with the LGBTQ community, there must be people in the LGBTQ community that has suffered greatly, has been harassed, has been whatever, for being part of that community. Like those things should stop. Any level of hate, like bigotry should not be tolerated. But, but the people that are speaking out on behalf of these people, I don't think they understand what these people actually want. They take this movement the direction that they want i'm not sure if all these companies changing their linkedin logos to a rainbow tailored logo what does that accomplish what, what i'm not really sure what that does for the lgbt community awareness of what that that gays exist like I, we've known that for centuries i i like my frustration is the same way that you and i are complaining slash laughing about how like Asian rights are being depicted um, and, and people trying to act like they know what Asians want. I'm sure there's so many things that LGBTQ people want or slash wants to be left alone that these non-LGBTQ people are championing just to make money and become heroes. Yeah. Um, but I, I think with like the company's changing logo, oh, I think I might not be able to get a job. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, I think, again, like kind of thinking in their perspective, like coming out the closet is definitely difficult. And, you know, I think more than anything, I think what LGBTQ, what they do right is they celebrate it. And it's a very, very peaceful way of uh, spreading awareness. And I think that's great. Whereas compared to how vegans uh, like try to spread uh, spread awareness, I think there's a huge problem with that. Oh so, yeah. So just to take one case, this is a bit extreme, but like these are some this this is on Vice. Uh, sure. This is a bit extreme, but some protesters in 2019 raided a farm, and I think that's messed up. Like that's their income. Like you're directly mess- messing with like, right farmers and i don't know how much farmers earn but i'm pretty sure it's not like the six-figure salary that you would expect and my point of my point with these movements is that i again totally respect and love what you believe in and yes like feel free to spread awareness but you can't like rate a form and this documentary about this like extreme animal right group rating form uh so I think I think the statement that they're trying to make is that animal like animals are people's friends, 
and it shouldn't be treated with cruelty and eaten. Would you agree? Would I I agree? Yeah, with what I just said about like what they're trying to prove or like the statement they're trying Um, to no, I think animals should be eaten. Um, <laughs> you should try to minimize minimize their hurting. Like, I don't think you should, like, kill them in aggressive ways. But, I mean, I eat animals. I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. No, no, as, um, in, as, in, as in the statement that they're trying to make, the animal uh, protecting the organizations and vegan people, the statement they're trying to make is... Uh, they're trying. They're, they're animals are people's friend, and they shouldn't be treated with cruelty and eaten. They shouldn't be eaten. Like that's my. That was my point. Oh, oh, oh! Am yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Am I agree yeah, with yeah. the fact that yeah. vegans say that? Yes, yes. Yeah. That's what vegans okay, say. Okay, okay, cool. Yes, yes. So, I just have <laughs> I'm to saying I, I I disagree with their statement. I I like sure animals can be friends, but I eat animals, and I plan to do so. Yeah, same. And yeah, I was just. Because, like, again, I just want to, like, kind of double-check this. Um, right. So, on the, on the documentary, there was a leader of the group who's this, like, smart-ass lawyer uh, who went to, like, a really good school. And, he, like, he, like, you know, if you are that, if you have that knowledge, uh, he knew that he could fuck around and, like, with the loophole around the law. And he was just, like, getting loads of, like, the protesters and, like, just storming in the, pro- the, the chicken farm and they 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 it was i mean if the farmer says says no and it's his property you would think that they have no right to just you know like storm in but apparently this lawyer knew what he was doing like everyone just stormed in and they were like taking videos and saying oh like that this is like inhumane like they have no water they have no feed like and they, they found like a couple of chicken dead on the floor. And your initial thought would be like, okay, that, that chicken might be a problem. But the farmer sure. made a very good point about that is that chicken farm at the end of the day is a, it's just like people living on earth. Like some, like every day, some people will die. So it's a very, very natural thing. Sure. And that straight away made like so much sense. And if that's, if, if, if you're, if so, again, if vegan people and animal right people are saying that, oh, like people are animals friends. So they're kind of leveling the people, human and animal rights on like the same level. And they're saying they shouldn't be treated with cruelty and be eaten. Mm. What, if that's the case, like what about your phones, like iPhones assembled by Foxconn? And you know, with COVID, like their working conditions got so much worse. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, this is from Financial Times as well, and Nike, H and M, all these retail clothes. You're oh, yeah. on, like underpaid kids making them in Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia. Like, yeah. What about that? You know, if animals are your friends. Are humans not your friends? I I completely agree. I completely <laughs> agree. It's a no, but I, it's it's a clear. It's just another case of pick and choose. They do whatever is convenient for them to signal the fact that they're nice people, and it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to not eat meat. And not use your iPhone, but like that—that that is what it is. And they're saying that they're making a difference by doing that one thing, by rating by rating farms. It's ridiculous. Like you, you see, like I, I saw this. There are a lot of videos on like vegan protests on YouTube and like in McDonald's, 
in the UK, uh, like these people just storm in and they were just pouring red paint and they're like, oh, oh. animals' blood. Like that's, I don't know what the correct term. I don't, I, I don't know shit about law, but like that's vandalism or like, like you should at the least, at the yeah, least, exactly. And they, they just somehow get away with it. They get arrested one or two days later. They get released. Like, ugh. because here's the thing: if they take, if McDonald's takes action. Then the head- headline article is going to be McDonald's anti-vegan. McDonald's <laughs> attack. McDonald's attacks vegan activists through through lawsuits. It, it, the world is very. It's very obvious place now. You can't do anything. Yeah, that's that, again. I think this all comes down to like how restricted like things are, and like with the whole gender thing. I think. At least on your passport, it should be male or female. Like, what's your, your birth certificate? It should be male and female. It shouldn't have any other options, right? Because say, like, if you commit a crime, what the fuck are you going to do then? Like, it's, it's just so, it makes things so complicated. And do you know what gender fluidity is? Gender fluid? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many, I think, practical problems that it's, I think they, they treated this as like, oh, there's like this oppressive force trying to like, reduce like gender expression whatever like i'm talking about very practical things let's say there's a let's say there's a um the example that i always turn to is let's say there's a a war that breaks out tomorrow and i personally somewhat think this is by definition i don't actually believe this but if i were to argue this is by definition a sexist policy but men get drafted women don't that's just how the world works because Men go to war and men are stronger than women by nature. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how else to say it. If we allow gender decision or sexual orientation, what gender expression, what, what is stopping me from saying, I'm going to start living as a woman tomorrow and I'm not going to go to war? What, what is stopping me? Gen- genuinely, if you can decide whether you're an M or an F on that passport, on that, gen- on that license, what is stopping me from avoiding the draft that way? Because if I'm being very real, I, I think I would do that if that was a choice. I think many, many men would, um, which is wrong. <laughs> you should serve your country if, if that's what you signed up for. And men should go fight. Um, I also don't want to say, I don't, I don't want to minimize. I'm sure there's lots of women who are willing to fight for the country. There's a lot of women who find things like this wrong. But there's so many, I think, an endless array of, of practical issues that come from this. Um, I'm, I'm now like jumping around and thinking, here's, here's also the funny thing, not funny thing, but the scary thing that I'm already envisioning, like the under 50 people that would listen to this podcast. I know for a fact, I know for a fact, by the time they, they end the intro, they're like, Oh, like Brian, maybe, maybe some of them have heard me. They're heard of me. Um, and they've, they've been like following your podcast. They're like, Oh, like good dudes, like, um, talking about their careers. And then like, once they get, they get to like the political and opinionated part instantly they will i hope they make it this far but they will be in exhibiting everything that we just talked about they will immediately change their opinion of us based on what we're discussing they will immediately dismiss what we're saying because of our identities and why how we are um straight asian males that don't have the ability to talk about these things because we haven't like experienced depression we're speaking from a place of privilege like we it's just so at this point, it's it's laughably frustrating that 
all these things are so foreseeable. Like I already know that to be the case. Um, and obviously neither you and I are celebrities of any kind. So like, you know, it's going to be like our mom is listening to this, but, but in the case, in the case that someone that the type of types of people that we're talking about does listen to this, like that is 100% going to happen. Um, and I, I just think that's, that's great. Like that's just a sad thought that this world has become this predictable um, and, and how people behave. Yeah, coming around to that, you know, like, you know, if a male son, actually, I start with the military army thing. How many female do you see in Marines? Because at that, at that point in the army, you know, like I think I think in the U.S. it's completely like it's up it's up to you. Like if you it choose. is it is yeah. So exactly. So, I mean, I guess by nature or like I don't know, like female tend to like they don't usually go that path. But even if they do, this is completely meritocracy. Like completely, hundred percent based off your ability to pass the physical fitness test, which is ridiculous. Like female, like I think I think there was a video on this, like you know, like female uh doing the marines fitness test, and mm. a lot of them couldn't catch on. Like sure, but, sure, but but that's like nature. Like men go through puberty. I mean, like female do as well. But like we have like fucking testosterone. You have bigger muscle mass and like bone structure. There's so many factors that come into play that affect this, which naturally makes you stronger and i think this kind of is a big topic now with the olympics coming up is that their transgender athletes participating so and the only and the only regulation there is right now for transgender so like from male to female is the testosterone level but that's not going to do shit like these athletes have been like male for 20 something years, 30 something years. Sure. And one, like they're going to like take some drug to lower the testosterone level. That's not gonna, that's not gonna do anything. Like, let me get the stats up. So like just to take one example. So the Australian national uh, women's national football soccer team, they played against under 15s boys. Sure, sure. And they lost five four oh, yeah. five nil. Oh yeah. Second thing, well, so Duke, Duke, this is from Duke University Law Law School. Uh world's best women versus under 18 boys. 100 meter best women's result, 10.71. Best boys result, 10.15. How many boys? Oh, are- <laughs> it's not even comparable. Exactly. And if you compare male to female above 18. It's ridiculous. The number of oh, yeah. men outperforming women, f- 15, like five figures. It's, and what are you going to say then? If, if right. all male athletes decide to become transgender female athletes, right, right. They just break every fucking record there is available there. Right. And it's at the end of the day, sports is all about who's the best. And if, if all the male identify as female and they're breaking all the records and it's going to be all transgender athletes, what are you going to do then? Are you going to complain? Oh, like this shouldn't be done. 
like that's gonna be hypocritical. It's, it's a pretty tough one. Like it, it should it, it just shouldn't be the case. It's it's not fair. It's not on a level playing like level playing field, but like the transgender athletes are saying, oh, it's level, uh, because you see these uh female from Netherlands, their average height is like what five, eight. So they're sure, sure. other countries. But you know, like that's again, even with in my perspective, like that's again, you're picking a very small sample size. It's all about like male dominance, like male dominance, right. But if you look at the very successful people, you know, within the general population, it's again the top zero point zero 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 one percent. And I don't know, it's just it's just so confusing. And any any opinions? No, I mean one. I don't I don't know enough about sports to to. I've read like headlines. I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just go back to what I said before. I think there's there's just such a wide array of issues that results from this when it affects such a small population of people. Yeah. Um, it's difficult. It's very difficult. <sighs> I think we're, we're, we're going into a very, very difficult world for so many different reasons. Yeah. Um, and maybe, and maybe it's just, it's just a part of life and maybe we'll come out of this better. Um, my, assumptions are not leading that way but um maybe we're just going through a growth phase and and growing pains um but i don't think so i i'm a very big proponent of the world only get worse um i think the internet is driving people crazy i think everyone feels like they need to have an opinion on everything i think that's also very problematic um we're, I mean, I'm, I'm being hypocritical and, and we're being very meta right now because we are talking about things that probably we were no experts in anyways. We're just saying our opinions based on the limited knowledge we have. Yeah. Um, but then again, I feel like there's plenty of people in the world right now that have no idea what they're talking about and they act like they're thought leaders in these things. Um, I think we're, we're approaching a very scary world um, and not to like jump into a different topic, but it wasn't until recently that I, for the first time in my life, thought maybe I shouldn't have kids. Hmm. I'm scared to bring kids into this world. Right. Do you have a girlfriend? Uh, no. Why, why, why did that take a second? Why'd you go, oh, no? Uh, kind of ended so, that. <laughs> I uh, didn't handle it right. <laughs> I'm gonna have to... Oh, no. <laughs> why? I don't know. I'm just trying to... I'm trying to lighten up the mood. I feel like we've been we've been we've been going full steam on these very tough, serious topics. Um, didn't didn't end well. Interesting. My are you are you are you like a long term relationship person? Um, I mean the recent one, the most recent one was year and a half ish. Oh, yeah. Was she a girl from uni? Yeah. So my first year, uh, she lived on my floor. Oh, <laughs> is, yeah, sir. This is a funny story, right? The very first time I met, like the very first time, the very first encounter was when I was like hungover as shit. Mm. And I don't know, like, I was messed up. And so again, so we're on the third floor and someone was using the toilet. 
And I was like, oh my God, like, really have to go. So I had to go down. And I, th- I swear, I swear, I swear, I locked her. And no. Right. Yeah. Listen. And this girl kind of walks in and is like, oh my God, I'm sorry. And like, just slams the door back. <laughs> and no. I, there are two white girls. So she was, she was a white girl. And I knew that blonde. And she just ran away. <laughs> and I knew that there were two girls one yeah and one's one lives on the second floor and okay. the other lives okay. on the third floor and I was like okay like the second floor I, at that time it was like I was very new so I had no clue uh, which, like who was who sure. it was until I was with her uh and we're kind of talking about like how 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 did this all start? And she was talking, she was telling me, oh like, do you know what? Uh, funny story. In mm-hmm. the in the beginning of of in my first year, like I was down on the second floor toilet and I saw like this Asian guy. No. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, that's me. <laughs> so that was that was our first encounter, which. So you found out afterwards. Yeah. Wow. I had, like at that time, I was like too drunk and my vision was blurry, so I had no clue. I, I didn't, who was who it was, right? Man, um, that's, that's cute. How about you? <laughs> no, I've been I've been single for some time. Um, I I I, um, I I talked about this with my close friends recently, but I when when Corona started, like when the pandemic started. I just had a, I had a insight that this was going to last a long time and I wanted to like take this time to like really focus on myself and like understand myself, work on myself. Um, and I knew that the other side of this would be like a booming of people trying to like hang out and date and go out, which is happening right now. You know, everyone's like dying to just like um, meet each other. So like I like um, I, I think unless you're like a hardcore quote unquote fat of mine of my YouTube channel, you don't know. Like I used to be kind of fat um like i know i know that you post it yeah uh, yeah I, I used to be on a fat and lost a lot of weight in the past year and a half um because you gotta you gotta look good um, i think that's important um i'm trying to really i really figured myself out what i like who i am um so i think i'm ready to not like mingle but i think i'm like slowly getting myself back into the market um i'm moving back to california mm. so i'll be more in a settled peace of mind um, because I, I'm, I'm more one for like more serious relationships and I don't want to like, you know, just have flings here and there. Um, and I, I don't want to, you know, do that to someone in Chicago and make them feel bad and leave. Um, cause I'm, I'm, I'm literally moving in, in three weeks. So, um, long story short, I think I'm, I think I'm ready. Um, I'm excited. I think, I think a lot of people during COVID were lonely, probably, especially at a romance level because everyone was, I think, reluctant to say, start something because people were very, temporary and where they were living their next steps um because covid put everything in flux but now in the fall i think everyone's gonna return or ultimately go to the place that they intended to go to um y'all are going back to school like things are things are you know going back to normal and i think that will my my you you'll hear it here uh you'll hear it here first but my guess is that there will be a boom of relationships in the fall like a spike um especially in colleges but just in real life, like there will be a sharp increase of relationships in the fall. 
it's pretty cool. it's pretty exciting cool. time yeah pretty cool uh, knowing like a personal side <laughs> of, of me yeah i don't know because i don't know like at the end of the day like just like anyone managing directors like if you if you know their position and where they work it's, it could be kind of daunting to like college students but if you meet them like in a supermarket you think like who's that old guy <laughs> you know oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And it's kind yeah. of like the same thing with views like i my kind of like the perception. way i look at yeah my perception of you is oh my god like this is a really cool youtuber like i honestly I, like i do but like it's it's cringy but i do like the blogs and like the shit you do i think it's amazing and you know like you're very honest about things i think that's the most the what, what i appreciate about and you know you don't you don't feel the need to like kind of you know, settle like kind of censor yourself which i think is great and yeah so but you know at the end of the day you're just a guy from california i am i am one nobody many people not no yeah i don't know it's just really cool just talking to people. the md thing that you talked about i think is, is a very interesting point i think <laughs> we always like we compartmentalize people in these boxes like well growing up like you see your teachers in like middle school and they are your teacher and you only yeah. see them in, in the classroom, but then you happen to run into them at the grocery store, like with their husband or something, um, or with their kids pushing like a shopping cart. And you're like, wait, like Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Smith is actually a human being. Like it's, such a, it's a, it's a really weird thing to think about. Um, cause I, I remember obviously, I, and for those of you listening that have no idea who I am, I'm, I'm not a YouTuber, but I, um, but in the few, like very handful, like, like four occurrences that people have recognized me, um, on the streets. Um, like it's, it's, it's like both like a weird thing because like, I'm obviously nowhere close to like an actual, like big name celebrity. So like only niche people know me, but like when they know me, they really know me because I think you only follow me if you like actually care about the things I talk about. Um, and it's usually like in the middle of the city, there was a couple of times in Chicago, a couple of times in, in, in New York. Um, and they just like stop me. They're like, wait, like, you're Brian Judd. And I was like, yeah. And then like, I start, I start laughing. Cause I'm just like, dude, like I'm no one. And I, I always tell them like, stop watching my videos. Like my videos are dumb. Um, but I think to them, it's like, they've only seen me on a YouTube screen yeah. like once every week. And they like, see me talking about like banking stuff or whatever. And then they, they just see me like on the streets as a regular day person. And they're like, wait, this guy's just a regular day person. Just like me. He just happens to make videos. Um, and I think like, that's the, like the weird thing about seeing someone out of place. Um, that's like super fun. Um, I get that at like airports a lot, even if it's a friend. Um, if you see someone that you don't expect to see somewhere else, it's a really like, one, it's a fun feeling, but two, it's like a weird feeling. You're like, whoa, like you feel like you're in a video game and you're used to seeing this person play a role. But then if you see this person out of that role, you're like, whoa, this is weird. Like I bet if I ran into you in the middle of England or something, it would also be even weird, like by, I mean, one, by statistical coincidence, that's very, very low, but two, like the fact that you've only met me like virtually and then we meet in person, it's going to be, it's going to be a whole different like thing. Um, I also get like, uh, people are the, the few people I have met, they're like, well, like you're taller than I thought, or they say like, um, you're skinnier than I thought. Like there's a lot of like screen only things, um, that I think are interesting. There's some, there's some coworkers of mine 
that I, I only met through zoom. And then I finally met them in person. And they're always like, well, like you're so different than I imagined. Like, um, like that's such a, a fun aspect, I think of this virtual world. Um, or if you meet in person, it's just so different. How, how tall are you? Um, I'm not, I'm not that tall. I'm like a little over five eleven. Okay. Okay. Cause I'm five eleven. And oh, really? by the fact that you're saying a little over five eleven. Why, why, why? Because you know, people always, you know, like on a good day, six foot, but oh no, no, I'm I'm <laughs> definitely not I'm not I'm definitely not six foot, but I'm 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 definitely over five eleven. Um I think I'm in that obscure like point. I'm also just like I have a pretty like big frame like my like i just have a good like pretty i'm thick boned as they say mm. um and my like shoulders are like just like biologically kind of wide so like i, I think I, I feel bigger than i actually am okay um with the whole like virtual thing like it's kind of like when you're young you know girls aren't meant to fart and <laughs> and you're like oh my god they fart <laughs> wow Damn. I think what next what next it's it's been really fun um so yeah what I kind of want to talk about is I think yeah so personally while applying for jobs I feel like I've I felt the need to say the correct things and that's what uh, all the information sessions I think in finance uh any corporates they kind of like really put a lot of emphasis on esg diversity for sure what else like lgbtq inclusion Uh, and it's important that they do this and it's great but what like i was curious like are they only doing this because other companies are doing it and if they 100 100 right 100 um Actually, let me not let me not let me not be extreme like that. I'm certain that there are companies that genuinely care. Um, there has to be. I mean, I mean, these are issues that matter. Um, whether you agree with them or not is different, but there are companies that definitely care. I do think that the fact that it has become a standard has numbed everyone to it. And if anything, it's doing these important issues injustice by making them more of a check in the box rather than something that actually matter. Like I wish companies actually put at the forefront things that they actually cared about, so they could actually champion the things that they actually cared about. Like for I'll just make this up, but let's say like Brian Jen Company happens to really care about um, orphans in Latin America, so they they put that at the forefront, um, and that doesn't become a standard. Like not every company cares about that, but like Brian Jen Company cares about that, so that that they make that a standard. But instead, to your point, now like women, African Americans, LGBTQ, lower income, like those four things are a standard, like you have to care about those things, which in turn makes it a baseline. And I think that in transition makes it weirdly not important when it's just a check in the box. Um, once you make something a prerequisite, it doesn't make it stand out, um, which just delegitimizes real issues. Um, and it sucks. Um, I don't think like the fact that, <laughs> Another thing that I, I, I struggle with is I think companies should obviously hire the best people, hire people that are aligned with their views, but they should ultimately hire people that are good for the job um, and not necessarily people that can just say the right things. 
because there's probably plenty of examples that you hire someone based on their interview and they suck at their job um, just because they were asking the wrong questions. Like this is another interesting thing to me. I think the whole interview process is a very weird thing because for most jobs, I would say 99% of jobs, you learn the skills on the job. Um, Unless you're very specialized, you should strive to hire the most competent, hardworking person, not necessarily the person with the most experience or the person with the right skill set. You could teach most people most jobs, um, unless you're a rocket scientist. And even then, I think you can learn on the job. Um, and these strenuous seven different level interviews that take months at a time, like I wonder if they're actually filtering out the right people versus people that are just willing to put up with shit. Um, and by definition, it's really hard to figure out based on six 30-minute interviews whether or not this person's going to be good at a job or not. Um, how would you be able to tell? Um, within conversations, whether or not someone's going to be good. Um, how would you be able to, like, I, I know for a fact, like software engineers, they do all this like lead code prep and like figure out like brain teasers and algorithms. Like that's not reflective of the actual job they're going to be doing. Um, banking, I can speak, that's the one thing I can speak on. There's all these technical questions on like how to build a DCF, how to build an MBA, LBO. Like your first year in banking, you don't do any of that stuff. Um, none of that stuff matters. If anything, they should, they should do a test on like who can make PowerPoint slides the best. Um, or, or who could send Outlook invites effectively. Um, the thing, it's so weird that there's a disconnect between the things that you get tested and interviewed for versus the things that rec- the, the job itself actually requires. Um, it's weird. Like, I, I doubt that ESG and caring about LGBTQ and things like that actually matter for the job that you're about to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's... Makes sense, I guess. What are your thoughts? I think with the hiring process, uh, with the whole diversity thing, at least on most your races, like white, straight white males are scared to like put down their, you know, race. Really, sure, sure. They're really scared of doing that because. Say you know, say England and U.S. Like it's very like Caucasian. Like that's the majority, and the minorities are BAME, Black, Asian, Middle Eastern people. And so they're saying on, on like completely based on Wall Street races, they're saying uh, girls have a much higher chance because not apparently not that many girls apply. That's true. And so out of, say, if they're like 50 positions, if 100 girls apply, that's 50% conversion rate. Right, 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 right. Male, like it's, it's, there's just so many candidates. And because they want to hire, like, say, like equal parts. So 25% within male. It's just, it's just kind of ridiculous because at that point, are you really trying to pick? people who are good at the job like right right say for now ignore the interview process like i think that's a complete different story but is it right to do that but at the same time uh diversity is important it's good to have like very mixed culture so where's like the fine line right (laughs) there's never an answer to this is there yeah and i i think it just it's just very difficult because there's always going to be like specific case-by-case examples of people that don't deserve it or they're not good enough for the job, but they get it because they're a certain race or a certain gender. 
uh, which is just a, a, a flaw in the system. And then there's going to be also those, and I've seen many cases of this, which is also frustrating, where they're so qualified um, and they get the job, but then they keep hearing like, you only got this because you're a woman or you only got this because you're blank. Um, and that's equally frustrating. And that's also a flaw in the system. And that's happening because these diversity programs exist. And they're so explicit about saying, we're hiring you because you're a woman and you've, you're filling this woman's spot. When that person, that person would have gotten the job through pure qualifications anyways. It's just they happen to use the diversity system because why wouldn't you? I mean, I would. If I was a diversity candidate, I would definitely do it. It puts you in a better statistical chance. Yeah. Um, but it, I think it's frustrating on both ends. Um, and you see a lot of um, a lot of things like that where it's like the first ever woman blank. Like that, by, that literally in turn, I think, diminishes their value and says you only got there because you're a woman. No, they got there because they're qualified and they're they're great. Um, like I, it, labeling it like that, I think people think that they're giving them credit for like whatever. But in reality, I think it's more about, um, I think it's more about doing it correctly, which is which is a big issue. Right. Um. Yeah, I think that's kind of it from my side. Um. Is there anything you want to add or let's talk about? <laughs> No, no, no. I think I think for for concluding thoughts, um, this was very fun. Um, I much prefer this to making videos, just because I'm more of a conversational person. I love open discussion. Um, there's also like I can't fall back on extensive editing, so I actually have to think about what I'm saying, um, which which makes it even more fun. Um, I think we touched on so many important things that I I hope more people openly talk about. And I think one thing I, I want to like clear up and, and note is like, clearly you and I agree on a lot of things. Um, I think that sometimes poses a dangerous of like, of like circle thought and like constantly affirming each other's thoughts. Like, I think it's important to have discussions with people you strongly disagree with. Yeah. Um, um, so that you understand where they're coming from and maybe, maybe your thoughts will change. And I remember one of the most valuable things I've heard recently is one of my friends, um, Will, um, he's, we, we differ on most things, but we're very close. And I used to tell him like, what's the point of having conversations with people you disagree with? Like, you're just going to get mad anyways. There's no, no one comes out of a conversation thinking, oh, I'm going to change my, uh, perspective. But he said, if the conclusion of that conversation is you guys both become stronger in your opinions, that in itself is also a result. Like that, that, that means you got you becoming more solidified in your opinion is a byproduct of that conversation. And that is a good thing too. Um, so I think, I really hope that we, we go towards a world and, and I'm trying to figure out ways where I can contribute to this, where we can have conversations without getting pissed off, without getting emotional, um, and try to understand why the other side thinks a certain way and realize that at the end of the day, like you could be friends with people that you disagree with. Um, I would argue most of my friends, I disagree with very strongly. I'm often the, um, black sheep in terms of opinion in my friend groups. But I think they enjoy having me around for that very reason so they can keep themselves in check. Um, and I enjoy myself um, with them because I want to get myself in check. Um, so in conclusion, thanks for inviting me. This was awesome. I can't wait to hear the final product. I will uh, link it in my next video for whatever it's worth. Wow. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to do this again sometime um i'll have you on my podcast once i make mine um any thoughts any questions 
That's amazing. Um, this whole podcast, the reason why I started this was because I wanted to talk to people. And I think, uh, do you know who David Cho is? Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, his journey hitchhiking, like, all the way from North America to, like, Africa. America, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like, him meeting, like, these, like, psycho people, like, not psycho people, but, like, dangerous people who had like, dangerous thoughts. I, I, I do want to, like, end up, like, talking to those people. And, you know, I think this whole, like, this whole thing actually came from, like, networking. I think I told you this. And the best part is just learning, you know. Um, sure. what, what do I have to lose? <laughs> um, only a college kid. And I think, yeah, honestly, it's, it's really fun. I think a lot of things I've learned through you. And, um, yeah, uh, again, I can't thank you enough for this. It's been so much fun. Um, it's great seeing you, honestly. No, yeah, this is great. Um, please keep in touch. Send me that link as soon as it's, it's uploaded. Um, yeah, this is fun. This is very fun. Okay. Um, yeah, I uh, hope we can stay in touch. Uh, I've got an Instagram page, and I'll uh, send you that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, sweet. All right, take care, man. All right, talk soon. Thanks, everybody.